Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, and I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Mm, my literal first sip, ah, which is why I'm a little tongue-tied yet, apparently. Mm. Today is Monday, January 20th, and I'm going on a mini break today. I love calling it that. Ever since um, Bridget Jones' diary, when her friend, who is also, oh no, she's not, it's the other one who's the director, but when the friend calls from the bathroom and says in the whispering conversation, we were supposed to go on a mini break. and <laughs> I love mini break. Anyway, uh, David and I are off on a mini break today. Um couple days down at End of the Mountain Gods in Rio Doso. We're going to just hang out and relax a little bit. It is our anniversary. 29 years. Amazing. Amazing that next year will be 30. I think last year I was saying it was 29 years, but um, I clearly had that messed up. I got confused. It is confusing to me because my first love, Kev, hi Kev, um, also has his wedding anniversary in January. In fact, I think we must have just passed it. I don't remember when it was, Kev, January something, but in 1990. So you and Linda just celebrated 30 years. Congratulations. And they said it wouldn't last. Actually, nobody said it wouldn't last. Well, maybe they did. I think maybe people did say that back in the day, but um, I certainly wasn't one. I think Brad said it, but Brad said everything, right? <laughs> and Casey. Uh, good times. The, Kevin and Linda got married on a cruise, and this was kind of before destination weddings were hip. And it was a great idea since they, as I mentioned, got married in January. And a lot of us were living in Denver. And I was in Wyoming at the time. And they got us, well, certainly, you know, I was a grad student and had no money. And I could afford it. So it must have been a pretty decent deal. We left from Miami and went on like a three-night, five-day cruise through the Bahamas. And it was amazing it was so much fun and they had friends from college come in from all over and family and part of their reasoning was is if everybody had to you know pay for a plane ticket to come to the wedding then they at least could go somewhere more fun than denver in january and i'll tell you what i've been to another wedding in denver in january and it was um not ideal <laughs> So, so happy anniversary, Kev. Yours is really 30 years. I'm at 29. Although, 29 is a good number. One of my lucky numbers, I feel like. So anyway, we're going to go off for a few days and um, just hang out. I think it'll be nice. We got a couple of free nights, so that was cool. It's um, our anniversary is kind of a funny thing because David and I did not have a wedding 
So we celebrate the anniversary of our first date. But for a long time, we considered it kind of a movable feast because our first date was on Super Bowl Sunday. We went out after a Super Bowl party, um, <laughs> which was ill-advised and very, very cold in Laramie also. So for a long time, we would just celebrate on Super Bowl Sunday, but Super Bowl Sunday moves, <laughs> right? And that's why I call it a movable feast. Uh, not exactly the same as like the lunar calendar, but still. So this year, I guess Super Bowl, I did ask somebody, and it's on February 4th, which isn't terrible. There's been years where it's been considerably later than that. But the actual date is January 27th. So technically a week from today, but I got the aforementioned free nights. Actually, David got the free nights. So we're going to go take advantage of that. I'm looking forward to it. So, so yeah, um, on Friday I talked some about Joker. I keep thinking about Joker. And on Leslie Penelope's advice, I listened to that other podcast that she recommended, um, which is like something froth. Let's see if I can find it. I will put it in the show notes. Make sure. Now I've got a little icon on the phone that shows me I'm still recording, so that's good. Um, I have to look in here. Podbean. Leslie. Oh, she put up a new podcast. But this is like back in October. I did mark her post where she talked about um, Joker. Oh, Quantum Froth Dispatches. Uh, and this guy doesn't have all that many shows, which is too bad because, um, yeah, great recommendation, Leslie. I enjoyed, you know, I, I was a little cowed because it's over an hour long and I really don't like listening to long podcasts, but I was cleaning stuff up around the house. So I listened then, but he did a great analysis of Joker and I really enjoyed, um, his take on it. And I enjoyed his whole analysis of the spin on Joker because I remembered people talking about it at the time saying, oh, that it was grim and depressing. But I'd forgotten that people had said that it was like a celebration of the incel thing. And for those of you who um, don't know what incel is, it means involuntary celibate. So basically it means these guys who essentially live in their mother's basements or what have you and lead these solitary lives where they can't get a woman to have sex with them. And that this is <laughs> like, I don't know how society has wronged these guys because of course getting a woman to have sex with you is an inalienable right or something. So, Joker, Arthur, does live with his mother, and he is deeply mentally disturbed and does fantasize about another woman in the building. But, yeah, it's, it's absolutely not an incel thing, and certainly not a call to... Um, what to the 
to the incel cause. It's really a story about, I, I was glad that, uh, that this guy on the podcast agreed with some of my assessments, you know, that in many ways it's about how society creates their own monsters by failing to take care of people. And what's really interesting is, is something I feel like we really have to keep in mind in this modern era of spin, you know, really that movie is, has a very liberal agenda. Um, it is very much about resisting, uh, an authoritarian government, one where the rich have all the money and people are denied rights because the the clown revolution and resolution, uh, and they did notice this, you know, that they have signs that say things like resist, which is part of how a lot of people feel right now with the Trump administration, that we have to resist, resist this relentless spin that tries to convince us that somehow um, we want them to rape and pillage our country and our lives. So this whole uh, pretty massive response to Joker saying, you know, don't go see this on opening weekend, you know, uh, Whenever you hear people say, don't go see this movie on opening weekend, you know that they are trying to tank the movie. And then you have to look at why. What is their agenda for doing that? Um, you know, and if, if an authoritarian government considers something to be dangerous, then they're going to find ways to convince you not to go. They were telling people, oh, there's going to be murders in the movie theater. <laughs> So, anyway, there we are. Um, what else? I know I had things to say. I, I, I should. Someone asked me if I keep notes, and sometimes I do. You guys know that, but a lot of times I forget to. It was a good weekend. I did get all of the Christmas decorations down. The house is returned to cleanly decluttered. I got it all clean too. It did take me more than it really did take me all weekend. <laughs> um, I thought that I got towards the end of Saturday and I was tired and um, wasn't quite done. Still had all my bins out and everything. And then I thought, well, I'll finish it up in a couple hours on Sunday morning. And it ended up, I got done around four, <laughs> got everything done. But I did get my Christmas bins totally reorganized. I pitched out a lot of stuff. I don't know. For those of you who, who do decorate, you know how, like, you have those ornaments that are, like, broken or a piece is ripped out or you don't like them. <laughs> Someone gave them to you and they're ugly. And so they sort of settle down to the bottom of the bin and you just keep them in there year after year after year. Well, this year I threw all of those things away. I have a little bit of a complex because I feel bad putting stuff in the landfill. And, but then because it's not recyclable and I don't want to put it in the landfill, it ends up living in my house. <laughs> so it's like, well, that's not really an alternative either. So I did throw some stuff away. Sorry, Santa Fe landfill. Uh, 
David pointed out that our recycling is about four times the volume of our um, garbage. So, and in summertime we compost too. So, that's my ratios. General, I I figure I have a karmic bank, right? Can afford to uh, not throw something to do to throw a few things away. So. I, I totally reorganized those bins. I cleaned them out. I cleaned out in the garage where they live, which is kind of a big deal because that's where the kitty boxes are. So there's always like litter and dust back there. So it's all clean. This house is clean. <laughs> Kev will get that quote. Um, so I'm going to work a little bit more on the um, resurrected story this morning. And I am taking my laptop with me to End of the Mountain Gods. I'm expecting to have some nice quiet time, like sitting by the fire and so forth. I, um, I'm going to actually do some dun 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 plotting. I'm going to see if I can do this. It's for a book that another resurrected story. And I'm thinking I would like a more, a different plot for it. I want to keep the same characters, same magic system, everything the same, but have the story take place at a different point in time when somebody goes out and does a thing. And I want to see if I can figure out what doing the thing is. And I think that I can actually do this because this is a book I have written not once, not twice, but, well, kind of three and a half times because <laughs> I've tried putting it in a different world. I, I love this concept, so I know I, I'm not going to abandon it. I'm going to find the thing that'll work. So anyway, I know the characters really well, so and I know the world really well. So I'm not doing my normal writing for discovery, exploring the world and characters because obviously I've written it before. So yeah, I'm going to try to do a little bit of plotting. I'm going to write some stuff up for Sarah and I think um, I'm looking forward to using my tablet laptop. I think that'll be an entertaining way to try to use that. Yeah. And I was thinking a little bit more. A couple people commented to me about the things I was saying a few days ago, and I could try to see if I could figure out which podcast it was. But where I was talking about signing contracts for multiple books at once. And a couple people said something that they were glad that I had talked about that. An another piece on that that I hadn't mentioned is that you really need to look at if your agent is encouraging you to do that, what are your agent's reasons for doing that? Because, I mean, we all want to believe that agents really want the best for us. But in the, I don't know, there is there a name for this law, you know, that nobody will ever care about your career as much as you do. And conversely, an agent is going to care about their career more than yours because in the end we are, you know, survival of the fittest, right? You know, we all want to be able to pay rent. So an agent who gets you to sign 
a six or ten book deal up front. And you get your advance. You get when you sign. I know I've mentioned this, but uh, when you sign your contract to get your advance, you get half of the entire advance up front. Usually, there's there's exceptions to this, but that is the the standard. And if you're not getting that, then you should probably ask why. Why not? Why not? I want all that. So, and your agent gets 15%. So let's say that a publisher offers you a 10 book deal for $100,000 per book. That means that you get $500,000 up front, more or less. Well, we'll keep it even numbers for the sake of math, which means that your agent gets $75,000. Boom. They just got to, well, maybe pay rent. Depends on if they live in New York City, right? But that, that's a nice chunk of, chunk of money to get up front. So what if instead your publisher says, we want to offer you this 10-book deal for $100,000 a book, and you say no, because I'm going to bet that I'm going to be worth more in, you know, three years or whatever. And instead, I'll take a three-book deal for 100000 per book. And maybe you could talk it up a little bit. Maybe you could get them to pay you a little bit more, but we're going to stick with the round numbers. So let's say that they, you, know, you go with your three-book deal. You get your $300,000 advance, which is a lot of money. That's nice. Um, you get half of it up front, 150000 And your agent gets a very snazzy 22000 1,500. Did I do my math correctly? 150. Yeah, I think that's right. So nothing to sneer at, right? Pretty nice chunk of money, but it's not 75,000, right? And three years later, your agent's going to have to go in and negotiate again and maybe go out on submission again. And maybe they're going to have to go wide and maybe they're going to have to argue with your publisher who's like, oh, we still want to only give them 100000 per book. It's, it's more work for your agent to do it that way. And they don't get as big of a chunk of money up front. So... You know, it just depends on the agent. But one thing I have learned, and this is not true of all agents, but it is absolutely true of some agents, is that a lot of agents are lazy. And maybe lazy is the wrong word for it. Maybe it's that they are overworked. They'll probably say that they're overworked. And they don't want to have to do more work than they have to. And I think that's, you know, maybe that's a universal human thing, but agents have lots of clients usually, and they have a lot of things going on every day, and it depends on how organized they are, but there's a lot of moving parts to keep track of. And if your agent can make $75,000 right now and not have to worry about you for another 10 years, then that's a pretty sweet deal for them. It's just something to keep in mind. And it's something that, you know, we tend to have good relationships with our agents. Hopefully we have good relationships with our agents. And we regard them as our friends and regard regard them as our champions. And all of those are wonderful things. 
but you also have to look at why your agent is championing certain championing certain ideas because if your agent is always choosing the solution that will cause them less work then that is something to really examine and again i'm going to say that not all agents are like this um you guys know that I'm very fond of Agent Sarah, and one of the things I really like about Sarah is she works her butt off. But I have had an agent who did not want to have to work very hard. And it's there's a huge difference there. So it's something to keep in mind. All right, I have yammered on enough. I think I will try to podcast tomorrow. We'll do another another end of the mountain gods podcast if there isn't one for me you know that i simply fell into a vat of the hot stone massage and never emerged and wish me well so um first cup of coffee is part of the frolic media podcast network you'll find other podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts and i will talk to you all tomorrow Take care. Bye-bye.